everyone. I'm Kira Klingenberg. And I'm Kira Lindenberg. Today, with Jefferson Smith, we're bringing you another episode of Everything is Interesting. Today is the second day of Dia de los Muertos, known also as the Day of the Dead. Many people in the U.S. aren't really that familiar with the origin and meaning of Dia de los Muertos, and it is often appropriated as an extension to this spooky, scary celebration of Halloween. But Dia de los Muertos is not Halloween. Dia de los Muertos is a spiritual holiday, and it dates back thousands of years, and it's connected deeply to the indigenous roots of Mesoamerica. Families go to great lengths to honor their dead loved ones, setting up altars and preparing offerings. It's also a time to reflect upon mortality and death. Dia de los Muertos recognizes death as a natural part of the human experience. It is a time to celebrate death rather than to fear it. On today's episode, we are going to explore the science that underpins this idea. We'll take a glimpse into the world of creatures whose very existence blurs the line between living and non-living. We'll explore how death is essential for the continuation of life on Earth, and consider the idea that we're all born into this life with bodies that are prepared to die. Whoa. So death can be frightening, right? Because we feel like it's the opposite of life. So let's begin the show by considering how life and death may not be as starkly different as they seem. On a strictly physical level, to be considered alive, an organism must, one, have the capacity to grow, two, respond and adapt to stimuli, three, use energy to move molecules around in order to keep its body running, and four, be able to procreate. So death of a physical body is generally considered to happen when these function all come to an end. So to be dead and to be alive are seemingly mutually exclusive. You can't be both. Pretty straightforward, right? Well, not always. Yeah, consider a virus. Uh It's really hard to place in either category. Very hard. So a virus is incredibly simple. It's basically just a short strand of DNA wrapped up in a protective protein coat. In some sense, it doesn't fit our criteria for life. It can't make or break down molecules, and it can't grow on its own. But then in other ways, it does fit our criteria for life. It responds to stimuli, and maybe most importantly, it goes to great lengths to reproduce itself. A virus invades a living cell and incorporates itself into the cell's DNA sequence. When the cell goes through normal replication and divides, it also ends up replicating the virus that has infected it. So, while a virus doesn't have the typical body parts of an organism we would consider alive, nor can it grow or metabolize on its own, it does actively seek to replicate itself. So then, does that make it alive? What do you think, Jefferson? That's a good question. I'm thinking about Stranger Things. And viruses? Oh, I knew it. <laughs> wait, don't give away too much. You just did. Shoot. I didn't give away anything. I'm sorry, guys. I was guys. just thinking about Stranger Things. And it's all about a virus. Well, did it, you finish it? it? No. Which is one of the reasons I don't want any spoilers. Okay. We are on like episode I could mess seven, you up so maybe. bad right now. Don't do it. <laughs> I won't. But in terms I of... I haven't seen it either. Let's, let's get back to talking... Let's talk about viruses. Please don't ruin it. But no, okay. All I was going to say is when you say things that are dead but not dead, that sort of feels like the upside down. Oh, yes. It's so funny. My brain goes immediately to science and his goes immediately to zombies. Good connection. Anyways, let's keep going. Yeah. I'm a child of the 80s. I was raised on television and TV dinners. <laughs> Uh, Me too. Okay, so anyway, it's really hard to say whether viruses are alive or not. Even virologists can't figure it out. So the best we can do is say that a virus is sort of not really alive or dead. But then if it's not alive or dead, then what is it? Uh, I don't know. 
it's really strange. Viruses are really strange. And there's other creatures that dance between two states of physical life and physical death, making it hard to define where one starts and the other ends, like tardigrades, for example. I love tardigrades. So these microscopic aquatic animals, they sort of resemble adorable. Tardigra- I apologize. Tardigrades, is that, is that like an F? Or is like a D? An F? Is that, what, is that the oh. grade you get when you're late to class? No, but but this should be. I'm sorry. We should replace all Fs with the term tardigrade. Your your paper was good, but we had to give it a tardigrade. I'm sorry. Do we even have grades in Oregon? Yes, you get a tardigrade for your interruption. I thought just everyone got a trophy. Everyone gets an E for effort. All right, so what a tardigrade really is, though, it's a little microscopic aquatic animal, and it resembles an adorable little pig bear. Um, They are masters of suspended animation. So when resources are scarce or an environment is hostile, a tardigrade, get this, can dry up and go into stasis for up to an astounding 120 years. When they're suspended, they're not doing any of the normal life-defining things. They don't grow or respond, they don't metabolize, and they certainly aren't reproducing. To to us, they appear to be in a death-like state, so somehow existing without eating or breathing, with no heartbeat, and next to no water in their bodies. Then, when the environment becomes hospitable again, they reemerge as vital as they were before. So you kind of have to ask, while suspended, are the tardigrades alive or are they dead? Perhaps the answer is that as the tardigrade sort of moves in and out of suspended animation throughout its existence, that it's sort of toggling back and forth between life and death. Well, Lindsay Affair brought up something, which was the sea monkeys. This sounds like kind of what happened with the sea mm, monkeys yeah. and maybe like yeah. with the zombie bees. Like- because they're dry, and then you just put water on them, and they're alive. What's up with mm-hmm. that? Are they tardigrades? And they're what, not tardigrades. And what is their tardigrade? <laughs> Good question, though. Are they like, Tardi- are they like are bad tardigrades? Smaller. They're like an F when it comes to tardigrades? <laughs> Why would they be the bad ones? They're terrible grades. Are they the I kinda, best they're, tardigrades? They're, sea monkeys are like little, they're little brine shrimp, remember, from the episode that we did on them? Yeah. I, I do now. Yeah. They also I, are I've masters never, of suspended animation. I've never seen a tardigrade in the microscope, but I am fairly positive they're much, much smaller than the sea monkeys. Yeah. But you're totally right. Sea monkeys do the exact same thing. They, Which, by the way, they're not, they're not monkeys. We mentioned that, right? right? Not there's, monkeys. There's a whole episode you can go listen to they're, about they're it. They're great apes. Um, <laughs> totally <laughs> different thing. Grade A little shrimp. Right. They're the grade A. Tardigrades are the grade F. We learned today. Ooh. This shouldn't be a grade F, though. Tardigrades can exist. They, can, they were in space. They were in space, not breathing, and they lived. I know. And they had, they had babies in space. But that's, a, that's another subject for another time. So They're insane. so cool. It's so insane. Anyway, okay. Let's get back to life and death. So here's something to chew on. Us humans can also subsist in a state that is both a little bit alive and a little bit dead. So let's look at a few ways this can happen. So sometimes our brains die, but our bodies don't. In the case of Carla Perez, as reported in the 2016 National Geographic article, doctors were able to keep her body alive with the assistance of machines for 54 days after her brain had suffered catastrophic and irreparable damage. She was warm to the touch, had a steady heartbeat, and appeared on the outside to be only sleeping, but her brain was done, dead gone. And over the 54 days, her brain tissue disintegrated even as her other bodily functions persisted. Uh, and here's the shoe drop. She was also pregnant. That's the reason doctors were working so hard to keep her body alive in the first place. It was an attempt to sustain her developing fetus until it reached a stage where it could be safely removed from the womb. They succeeded, by the way. So while Carla Perez had died in one way, her body seemed very much alive in other ways. During those 54 days after brain death, Where did she fall on the line between physical life and physical death? 
it's not really clear. And weirder still, when our bodies die, our brains can live on. So apparently Canadian doctors have observed activity in the brain for up to 10 minutes after a patient has been declared clinically dead. Their vital signs have stopped, so they have no pulse, they have no breath, and no dilation of the pupils. In all conventional respects, these patients are corpses. But tests still pick up activity in their brains. And the brain waves that they picked up were the same ones that were observed in people who were being monitored in a deep sleep state. Super weird. So when a body dies and the brain keeps chugging along for a little while after, would you consider that body still alive in some way? Maybe life and death aren't so far apart. Have you ever uh, seen this show, The Walking Dead? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently its ratings are a little bit down from its opening episode. Well, it's on like season, <laughs> like what, one billion? As you delve into <laughs> this, it's been around for a while. It, it, is, it, it, it is maintaining life despite potentially its creative zombiness. Sure. Do we think that all of the zombie, uh, imprim- all, all, all the zombie stories are merely stories, or do you think there is something there? Do you think there is a chance? You listed those four things that you have to be able to do, but what? Mm-hmm. imagine if like three of the four like didn't work anymore, but being mm. ambulatory still was. Like, Do you think there could be such a thing as a zombie state? And do you think it could be contagious? And do you think that <laughs> if we banded together, we could resist it for enough seasons to sell a lot of advertising? I don't know about the last part, the advertising thing I'm going to leave up to you. But, you know, it's, I've thought about this, and, and there's a couple different things that make me think that, yes, actually, zombies could exist. And one of them is that this only happens, like, on a singular cell level, as far as we know, and our bodies are made of trillions of cells. But there is there are viruses that the only way that they can exist is they invade dead cells. And then they basically oh, so turn them into to cell zombies. Zombie cells. Yeah. So it's only so, a matter of time, right, before our bodies become zombies. <laughs> Do you think? Right. And it's, I mean, it sounds crazy. It's like, well, it's just one cell. But, you know, like once upon a time, you know, we were using like an abacus and now we have like supercomputers in our phones. So, you know, I, I mean, evolution happens fast. So, yeah, I mean, we'll probably see zombies in our lifetime. Right. I guess if it was evolutionarily advantageous for us to become zombies for whatever reason, then it might possibly happen. <laughs> do you was think, that a scientist answer or what? Do you think that they would band together with the polywog from Stranger Things and <laughs> with the And with tardigrades. And with tardigrades. Uh-huh, to create a super zombie state army. I think that you just came up with the next hit sci-fi movie of 2018, yeah. Jefferson. It's a graphic you- novel. I think if you could glue together, like if you had like a giant human-sized jello mold and you could fill it with like jello and a gazillion tardigrades, then like, yes, you have made a zombie. What's next? <laughs> okay, let's talk about this. Is death as frightening once you consider that, like life, it may just be another state that we exist in? Well, even if that still gives you the chills, there's still a good reason to celebrate death because without it, there can be no life. We see this all the time in nature, right? A plant, an animal, or a bacteria thriving thanks to the death of another organism. That's because directly or indirectly, the death of some organisms is essential to the survival of others. Ecological stability truly revolves around the balance of life and death. So like the death of one plant leaves a bare spot for another plant to grow. The death of one predator leaves food for another predator to catch. And the carcasses of all these dead plants and animals are what feed all the other living organisms on Earth. You see, nutrients are a finite resource here on Earth, and a dead body is comprised of the nutrients it consumed during life. 
So in death, an organism becomes a source of nutrients and resources for all the other living bodies around it. A feast! Animal bodies are far more nutrient-dense than plants. The newly dead carcass of a deer, for instance, provides a unique opportunity for worms, insects, fungi, and other scavengers to get a rich and sustaining meal. The parts of the deer's body that are not immediately consumed will also eventually be broken down into soil, where then that will continue to go on and support new life as food for the plants. I like the way Dr. John Wood, a biology professor from the University of California, puts it. Jefferson, would you like to read this quote for us? It is difficult for us to see death as anything but evil. If death is present, then something must be wrong. Yet this does not adequately represent our understanding of the ecological role of death in biotic systems. Without death, there is no community, no ecosystem, no biosphere as we know them. So now, even if death still scares you, and even if its role in our world and ecosystems doesn't make it any more palatable, death is still inevitable. And in some ways, it is this inevitability which shows us that death is indeed a part of life. In trees, for instance, many of the cells have an expiration date. The beautiful reds and yellows painting the treetops this season are the result of a very common mechanism called programmed cell death. To conserve energy for the rest of the plant, the cell in the leaves are scheduled to die every autumn. Much of a tree's body mass is also comprised primarily of dead cells. These dead hardened cells of its vascular system act much like a plastic straw. They allow water and nutrients to flow upwards against gravity to reach even the highest branches. These vascular cells grow exclusively for this job, and they only truly end up serving the tree once they die. The cells in our human bodies don't last forever either, and there is an end to the ability to replicate, an end that's there from the start. To keep our bodies healthy and fresh, our cells are continuously making shiny new copies of themselves, replacing the ones that die. But there's a limit to how many times they can each be copied, meaning there's a limit to how long our human bodies can live. To divide and make a new daughter cell, little worker proteins inside the old cell set about making an exact copy of that cell's unique collection of nucleotides, also known as its DNA. Except not all of it gets copied. The worker proteins need a certain number of nucleotides at the end of each DNA strand to hook onto. We call these sections of DNA telomeres. It's Greek for end part. But the telomeres don't get copied with the rest of the DNA because they're busy acting like little handles for the worker proteins to hold on to. Each strand of DNA has several telomeres, but they eventually all run out. Think of those ancient printers we had in the 80s and how they needed to they needed a way to latch the printer paper in order to work. So the paper came with a little perforated edge with holes down the side, and that allowed hooks in the printer to grab the paper. When your printing job was all finished, those perforated edges got ripped off and thrown away, making the paper smaller. And if for some reason you had to thread the same piece of paper back into this ancient printer, well, then you'd have to cut out new perforated edges so that the printer had something to grab. If you did this enough times, eventually you would run out of paper. This is essentially what happens inside your cells. Telomeres basically exist to be utilized and then discarded. Eventually, you run out of telomere DNA sequences for the copying proteins to latch onto, and that cell is unable to make any more daughter cells. Your cells don't live forever. Sorry. So once they run out of telomeres and you can't make any new cells, well, that's the end of your body as a working machine. You wah, might say, wah. 
that because we have a finite number of telomeres, that we are all born with bodies that are prepared to one day die. We got texts in. Ooh. Zombie homes, zombie corporations, why not zombie humans? Another one. Aren't fossil fuels just dead animals and plants from millions of years ago smushed in to fit our gas tank? That is their entire purpose. Yes. They were they were born, they, were they born lived their so lives that I could millions drive of years to work and so not have to take, take public them transit. And put them That's into right. our combustion machines and make it to this radio station for work. Does yeah. that mean I too, in millions of years, could help somebody not have to use public transportation? Have you just found your purpose yeah. in life? <laughs> there are I some people walk who around all day. Think that. Some people walk around thinking like I'm going to be a doctor when I grow up and I hope that you just walk around like I'm going to be in someone's gas station when I grow up. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I really, you should say that. It's a good party starter. My, my but before then some of my organs will be harvested. Well, yeah, yeah that's fine. You given back yeah. to the community. Yeah, you, so that you can support other I human life that can then become gas tank fuel in the future. See, mm-hmm. you are giving back. I see mo- myself mostly as tissue and eventual carbon. Aww. A man after my own heart. You're also carbon also, now, but that's okay. That's, okay. I, that's true. I don't know what zombie homes are, but we should get to that at a different time. Let's do a whole show <laughs> on zombie homes. I know. I know. Really they're like sea monkeys. Zombies, the new pets. Sea great apes. Furby zombies. chimpanzees. <laughs> Tamagotchi <laughs> zombie. Yeah. Okay. They're the tardigrades <laughs> of the zombies. affordable housing movement. <laughs> Go on. Yes. <laughs> Go okay, on, Kira. So. And by Kira, I mean Kira. <laughs> Thank you, Kira. I mean Where Jefferson. We go. Okay, this idea that DNA changes ever so slightly every time it's copied gives us insight into one theory as to why birth and therefore death exists at all. The environment is constantly changing, right? And so life, as we know it, needs to be able to evolve to adapt to those changes. So it's not really unreasonable to hypothesize that perhaps an organism reproduces in order for their cell line to have the chance at better adaptations. New physical characteristics that arise as a result of evolution only show up when a new organism is born. So major genetic changes can't be expressed in the parent organism because their body is already formed. So like for a fish to grow legs or a mammal to grow thumbs, they have to give birth to a new generation. Extra thumbs, we should say. Like Jefferson, you have thumbs, but if you wanted more, you couldn't just like, boop, more thumbs. And that like totally an You're very disappointed, <laughs> I know. All right, and as we discussed, we live in a world of finite resources. What's the resources. thumb sound again? How what? does that go? <laughs> boop. Okay. That's, that's you growing. Thumb like, that's that's the thumb growing sound? <laughs> yes. Right. Ma- yeah, thumb manifestation sounds. Uh, oh, as we so as we discussed, right? We live in this world of finite resources. I'm opposed to that. Of finite resources. Sound. Sorry, sound. you're just gonna have to. It's just like death. You're just gonna have to accept it. So, yeah. but the point is, for a generation of new, sort of well adapted organisms to be able to thrive, some of the the old, outdated models have to pass on, right? We humans often think about life and consciousness as something that comes in a neat package. So like one human, one life, one consciousness. And we think about death as the end to all of that. But maybe life is actually passed down through cell lines as an as evolution occurs, right? So maybe life has less definable borders than we give it. And an organism's offspring is just a continuation of whatever life really is, but with sort of newer, more well-adapted features. Yeah. This, I mean, that's what I think anyway. This theory is reinforced by the possibility that our brains may be prepared to ease the passage of our consciousness into death. Thanks, brains. You're so cool. So a subject of much fascination for people who study human consciousness is a molecule that our bodies make naturally, a molecule called DMT. 
we don't really understand the purpose of DMT yet, but we know it's always present in our bodies in an inhibited form. And it's theorized that DMT is released and activated in the final moments before our death. But what researchers would like to know is why? When our brains process DMT, we experience visions and feelings of being in a very different reality, often described as realer than real. And many of these visions closely mirror the accounts given by people who have had near-death experiences. So what, maybe DMT is a transition agent? One that sort of allows our consciousness to step out of our human bodies and into the place between life and death? Or maybe it simply just causes hallucinations that ease our brain's fears about letting go of the experience we call life in the moments of our death. Because the topic of DMT sparks such dense conversation, because there's a lot to say mm-hmm, there, mm-hmm. we're going to give it more time. So we'll be exploring the fascinating implications of DMT's effects on our bodies in our next episode, which is two weeks from now. So be sure to tune in for that. For this episode, the idea that death may be a transition is also something to consider as part of Dia de los Muertos, right? Celebrators of this holiday see death as part of our complete journey. They believe that their deceased loved ones don't stop existing, but instead move on after they die. Sort of a continuation, not an end. Gabriel Martinez, curator of the Museum of Latin American Art in Long Beach, California, states that the indigenous people of Mesoamerica believed life and death were one big cycle. So people never really went away, they just went to inhabit a different place. During Dia de los Muertos, friends and family who have passed on are invited back again to commune with the living. Their lives and memories are celebrated rather than their deaths mourned. And even if death is actually the end, it's still an end that defines life as we know it. I mean, Dia de los Muertos is an incredibly powerful celebration of death, and it respects mortality and the place that death holds in the world. It brings families together to honor the dead and normalize death, sort of transforming it from something to be feared into something to be celebrated, because death is a part of who we are. You know, I like to think that maybe after this life, we go to somewhere really super fun. <laughs> like the lyrics to this song that say, I come dancing from the afterworld and my home is in the afterlife. I'm looking for a soul to give me a sweet name. I don't want to scare you. I just want to dance, which is pretty much my motto in life. We're so glad that you could join us for this episode of Everything is Interesting. This episode will rebroadcast this Friday at noon right here on X-Ray. And we will be back in two weeks with a new episode all about DMT. Oh, and we also have some very good news. We do. Everything is, yeah, Everything is Interesting is finally available as a podcast. So you can find it on iTunes and Android and, you know, all the places that podcasts live. Look us up. Every single episode of EII, which is the shorthand for Everything is Interesting, is there. So go listen now. And please, you know, as a favor to us, it would be really great if you could ask two or three of your friends to also download an episode. Uh, We even have a fancy new logo done by Portland graphic designer Lewis Duncan. His other work can be found at lduncandesign.com. All the music you heard in today's episode is curated by X-Ray's own DJ DNA and pulled from program number 166 of his fantastic show, San Remo 1985, that airs right here at 10 p.m. every Tuesday. The song you're listening to right now is La Cavalarita de Azucar, performed by Carlos Azuaga. Thank you so much to our awesome X-Ray production crew. We seriously love you guys. And big thank you to our editor, Sam Underwood. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You are awesome. We'll see you all again in two weeks right here on X-Ray, where radio is yours.